Yeah, we couldn't stay away for too long. We're back, and the man's back in town. Action Jackson, back from the uh, from the, the homeland, so to speak. Australia, what the fuck was that? I have tickets to one day at Lords, one day, and you conspire to lose bloody seven for fifty after lunch. I had to walk out just before tea time because it was so just deplorable. You ruined the entire Lords experience for me. Ryan Harris took a wicket first ball. Should have got up and left after that. That was that was it. Game over. The George Costanza. Always leave on a high note. Uh, and Shane Watson, that referral, mate. <sighs> yeah, you're lucky we didn't bloody storm the old members' pavilion there. They would have seen us on that stupid camera that they kept spruiking, which had finally been allowed to get put up in the members' area. It was like, wow, we get to see those six steps that they take before they get onto the field. Pretty exciting stuff. But yes, anyway, Australia, I can't even speak. You bastards. Lords, the home of cricket, and that's what you do. Mm. How'd you find your uh, your century? You feel like you're... Was it a religious experience for you going towards? Oh, probably something out of the Book of Revelations, considering the way we performed that, you believe. Yeah. The frustrating thing was that Wimbledon was awesome. Because we went there, we we did the tour, we bought all the key rings, the DVDs, and the paraphernalia. There's all these um, games and quizzes and everything like that, so it was brilliant. It was because I didn't have to witness the team or player I supported just taking a huge dump on the field and ruining the experience for me. So I think that's the lesson. Is kids, if you're ever going to travel to see a cricket ground in the UK, make sure Australia aren't playing that yeah. day. I must admit, I went a day they weren't playing, and yeah, it was a much different Would've experience. Better, wouldn't it? Yeah, it was good. Yeah, yeah. it's a very anyway. It's a very, it's a very bizarre ground, isn't it? With that uh, the three foot slope from one side to the other. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. yeah, the seats we were in were actually they were called restricted viewing yeah. trying to work out why because I was like at the Wacker I don't think there'd be a single seat where you couldn't see the whole ground yeah. but these ones because the ground is so square there was a um, like a stair a staircase just blocking our view of maybe the last five metres towards the boundary at Cow Corner yeah. so just didn't really matter because the Australians weren't really hitting too many balls out in that direction anyway so <laughs> but no it was, it was as good an experience as it could be considering that it was the worst day Australia played in the entire series so, mm, so, yes. so not very good <laughs> How was your uh, customs immigration experience as well? I remember I, I have vivid memories of uh, of landing in the UK and the uh, the immigration officer seeing my passport and saying two just saying two words to me as he stands my passport. Welcome home. Well, yeah, <laughs> ours was similar sort of thing. I had been literally crawling up the walls on the second flight from Dubai to the UK because about an hour into the flight we received a news update on one of the you know forty seven thousand channels which said. Australia required 20 more runs to win with one wicket in hand at Mm. lunch. And that was it. So they gave us this bit of information one hour in. For the next six hours, with the fate of the ashes on the line, no updates, nothing. None yeah. whatsoever. Yeah, I was literally considering bringing the plane down just so I could find out who won the bloody thing. Yeah, and they, they lost a wicket. I think it's only about the third over after lunch, yeah. as it turned out. Exactly. But, so yeah. we should have been informed. Maybe it's because the flight was, yeah, rerouted from Australia. They didn't want to piss off the entire... I think that that's right. <laughs> they were a bit worried of a riot, maybe. Oh, or, yeah. you know. or perhaps just my reaction. It's like, the, it. uh, it's like my joke about, could you imagine what the flight would be like over mm. to Melbourne for an Eagles Dockers grand final? <laughs> Not pretty. <laughs> Luckily, we probably won't have to worry about that for another 15 or 20 years, which probably brings us to our top 10. But when we did go through customs then, the uh, the first thing that the girl said to us, I saw that it was a girl and I was like, oh, hopefully she might not know anything about cricket. The first thing she said was, oh, so you guys are over here for the cricket, are you? (laughs) How was that result from yesterday? Like, yes, there's going to be a lot of this. Because all we had thought was, if we win that first test, we can stride into Lords knowing that no matter how badly we play which we ended up doing. Mm. They couldn't say a word to us because we were up 1-0 in the series against all odds. Mm. So, yeah. But we probably need to do a separate podcast on the whole Ashes debacle. But Yeah, I think I think we'll, yeah. we'll sniff that so, down. Trip around the world ruined by Australian cricket team. Yeah. But that was that was the uh, the definite low light. So uh, yes. the, 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 the pertinent question is, uh, are we going to see Action Jackson on tour a bit more often now? Oh, perhaps. I mean, given that I've already seen one of my underperforming teams play overseas, I guess the, the logical next step is to go and see Minnesota <laughs> play a few baseball games. Um, yeah, you know, take, it, a, take a very warm coat yeah. would be my advice. As an homage to your earlier trip, I might go and see them, yeah, get towed up by Kansas City perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably the equivalent of, yeah, what happened yeah. in the cricket. So, yeah, I'm watching a grand 
seeing go over the green monster is uh, yeah, not something I've necessarily enjoyed. I would have enjoyed it if it was a Red Sox player, but no. Mm. Alas, so, yeah. it wasn't to be. So yeah, that's probably so, the next potential one, but no, yeah. probably take me a few years to lick my wounds and overcome mm. the, <laughs> the horrible experience from this one. <laughs> why did he review it? It was clearly taking the middle of middle stump, Watson. Oh. I think I think, I think Shane Watson's a top of guy that if he got clean bowled he'd be reviewing it but anyway we're just sitting there going oh will they get another over in before lunch will they won't they will they won't they number 42 oh they're going to get another over in third ball this happens like oh he's out oh he better not review it the review comes and then the replay this this was this was pretty much the microcosm of the entire experience was Shane Watson thinking oh you know I reckon that somehow that ball is going to defy the laws of physics Find a bend in the space-time continuum in the one metre between my pad and the stubs, and he's going to be missing the wickets altogether. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> DRS is I think a whole we've got, We've established a theme for this podcast, which is immense disappointment at teams who we live and breathe for. Yeah. And that brings us to... Your own love child of a team. Yeah. Which, the, uh, West Coast frankly, they, you probably should have aborted it this season, you know, oh, to say. Well, that's a bit harsh. But, it's a um, stillborn. So Let's the, go I mean, well, it's, the best way to, to frame this, I guess, is to, to sit there and you think about what external expectations were, what internal expectations were, and what my expectations were. Including my pre-season tweet that there'd be a Western Derby Grand Final this season. Yeah, that's probably not one of your final <laughs> I moments. Be, I could be half right, but yeah. 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 <laughs> when the other Maybe. team fails to even make the finals, you can't yeah, really no, take mean, look, any sort of credit. You know, everybody was saying, I, I, as you know, I've always been a, a, a lot more circumspect when it came to the Eagles and their chances of winning. I mean, I wasn't expecting them to miss the finals, but I, I felt that they weren't a top They weren't a top four team. I just yeah. looked at where they were last year, and I thought, and I you think know what, even if they them. stay at that same level, that should yeah. be enough for a prelim. But um, what I also suspected at the start of the year, which was what actually inspired that tweet was that Freo would win at home then West Coast would win at home then Freo then West Coast and they build up that whole house of pain um, you know that intimidation factor which would mean that basically they'd be unbeatable at Subi the two teams are sort of working together yep. to um, make it a fortress um, and yeah they they both finish high up the ladder on the back of those results instead I think West Coast are what 2 and 10 or something obscene the, like that at the, Subi the, no I think they're 3 and they'd be 3 let me think about this I think they're 3 and 7 yeah with two to play as we're recording mm. this with two to play um, and you know one of them was you know when the final siren went they were actually behind so you could argue that they were actually mm. two and eight when the yeah. final siren went reference so. North Melbourne cavalcade of failure yeah that's right as I've said before make sure you watch that clip I don't <laughs> believe this <laughs> anyway so you you've tasked me uh, whilst whilst travelling you've tasked me and you said well top oh, you, 10s you would have tasked yourself no really, really. You, but, did, you didn't really require any um, input from me but you gave it to me anyway yeah you said look top 10 I want you to come up with the top 10 reasons why the West Coast Eagles have essentially sucked ass this year I think I that's mean, that's a fair that way terminology of... from a Cricket Australia tweet by oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah maybe <laughs> So, um, but I think so. To the, yeah, to the magnificent bastard who who hijacked their Twitter account to post that. Yeah. We, we salute you, sir. I think I think it was the same guy who hijacked Davy Waters' account. But anyway, Johnny Walker, Jim Beam, Jack Daniels, love your work. Yeah, indeed. Um, Seven thumbs up. I think the important thing with this top ten is that it's no particular order, and the reason why it's no particular order is there's a lot of linkages through. So one point will actually snowball into another point that I that I'm looking to make here. But sounds. Seinfeldian hopes dovetailing of stories yeah. and things suffice you know suffice to say with a lot of people hopes were very high at the start of the year and it's it's fallen apart and trying to really pinpoint the issues there's a lot of there's a lot of easy targets that you can take with the Eagles and I've tried not to I've deliberately tried not to pick those easy targets off because I think <coughs> <it's>, <coughs> um, I think <laughs> Well, yeah, I think that there's there's broad, there's broader issues that need to be addressed within the club, and it, it's it's important to really step back and assess all of those. So I think that the first and most important issue, though, is is that the um, the reticence of the West Coast Eagles to essentially change the way that they've played the last couple of years is their biggest problem. And you know, part of that ties in with the guy you were just coughing about. But what, I think what guy? that was a genuine cough. Well, I don't I, know what you. Oh, that was. Just I, I I thought I heard I thought I heard worse. 
fold in there. Um, mate, people have been hearing like the Warris and Paul in all of your coughs over the last year. <laughs> That's, yeah, well, it's about time I yeah, put some sort of phlegmatic <laughs> contribution yeah, to this. Cough three since the middle of uh, middle of 2013, right now. Yeah. Um, but um, but look, let, shall we? I think that you know. Him? Well, I mean, no, I want to I want to talk about the the approach and then get into him oh. because look, you know, they had strategy and innovations and they surprised everybody in 2011 with their press mm. and you know the the I guess the ferociousness of the press and um, just really choking teams up in the in their forward space there which led to a lot of scoring opportunities it was the most ferocious press we've seen since the Rupert Murdoch phone hacking scandal let's mm. go with that yeah and to, well, in some respects, the Essendon doping scandal oh, as well. But that's, that's probably that's for another. another that's yeah, that's probably a three-hour podcast. That one. So we'll that I'll the surmise. James heard you're a fucking drug cheat. You should be banned for life. Done. Carry on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I just like. The, I think the best, the best um, tweet I've seen about this whole scenario is, is that, of course, Essendon pushing the hashtag Stand by Herd, and um, somebody pointing out, you know, when you use the abbreviation IE at the end, that is, in other names, to get more yep. detail. If you were chucking IE into hashtag Stand by Herd, it would be hashtag Stained by Herd. <laughs> and snap. I think, snap. and I think that there's going to be a lot of people in the upcoming weeks who will. Will be well and truly stained well, by herd. I think there's already a pretty high body count who yeah, yeah, had well, the stains right. all over the mm. yeah. Yeah, he's going. He's, I mean, he's, yeah, he's 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 knife four and he's going for the big guy Andy D right now. That's so. right. See, this is almost a, yeah a grudge match for the ages. Yeah, it's the irresistible force versus the immovable dickhead, basically. So, <laughs> we, which one's which? <laughs> the force is James Heard, the golden boy, yeah. the, and the entire yeah upheaval of support that he's somehow got for being a fucking filthy drug cheat. Yeah. Anyway, we yeah, should probably get back on track. Me, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Third, yeah. retire. Now. Yeah. yeah. But look, I but, think the point you make about West Coast is a fair one because I think we saw with Clarkson's cluster in 2008 yeah. how that was able to dismantle a Geelong team which had just been shitting on everyone they played. Mm. We saw Collingwood... I guess, sort of, in their style of hugging the wings and, you know, moving the ball up, uh, you know, yeah. by the boundary well, lines, using that force, to start Yeah, force the contest mm. and know that you can you can win the clearances because of your midfield. Yeah. And which I was guess essentially the Collingwood structure. Dating back to, you know, the, the day the AFL jumped the shark, as I heard someone describe it, when Western Bulldogs inflicted Essendon's only loss yeah. on them in 2000 with the flooding. I mean, these, I guess, strategies and innovations are constantly being developed. But the point is that they expire over time. They're well, effective. Exactly Teams right. learn how to counter them. I think that's exactly right. And you saw the you, you actually saw some of the warning signs for this. And this was part of the reason why I wasn't so bullish on them late in 2012, when some of the better teams had had really worked it out quite well. Short, sharp ball movement. Get the ball into the middle as quickly as you can, and then you can go over the top of it. Mm. And um, everybody's cottoned on to that now. So you know, not only not only is it is it failing as a as as a neutralising strategy, which was what, what it was so successful in doing in the first instance, it's now an attacking strategy for the opposition, yeah. which is which is quite scary. But that's and that's the reality of the situation. They've they've stuck with this for too long, and um, they're paying the price for it. The other problem I've always had with the press is that it's not something they're capable of sustaining at high intensity for four quarters. Yeah, so it's... unlike other strategies where you can just do it from the first bounce till yeah. the final siren, there are always going to be just you can't maintain that sort of intensity in that press for the whole game. Yeah, and I think that it's not just for the game too. I mean, it's a very valid point, but it's also, you think about it across a season. Yeah. Can you can well, you play at that level? You yeah. know, and I think that that's one thing that a lot of people, and I don't think they're, they're right in doing so, but I think that that's one of the, the questions people have about Fremantle, is that can that level of intensity be sustained throughout an entire season? I actually think that they're, he's um, the, and you know, this is the perfect example, the so point that I'm making. Can win a flag? No. We'll but I'm just going to say that I think that this is an important point. Um, you being away, you probably haven't seen some of the other games, but it's very, very clear that Ross Lyon has been tinkering with his strategies over the past five or six weeks with regards to how Fremantle play. They haven't been playing exactly the same way. He's he's doing a lot of stuff right now to find out if they can execute some of this, these things successfully in the finals. The, the last Western Derby was essentially a shootout, and it was actually a very good game of football to watch. He wasn't ultra-defensive in that game. He played all-out attack just to see 
see if he, his players could actually do it successfully. I see that partially also as a function of Luke Farland's injury, though, because I think he structurally he's yeah. probably the single most important player at Fremantle. And I think as soon as he's gone down, it's meant, yeah, that even guys like Michael Johnson and Ibbotson, their roles have changed. And yeah. just the whole way they approach rebounding the ball from their mm. defensive line, but he's had to rejig. I just think that the beauty of it is, is that he has the capability to do that. Mm. What we see with, you know, and I guess this is point two, what you see with Wurstfold and the coaching staff of the Eagles is, is that it's, it's, it's inflexible. There's no plan B. Yeah, yeah. If this doesn't exactly work, right. what do That's do? exactly right. And I think that, you know, one of my one of my frustrations of Wurstfold, I've never said that Wurstfold was a good coach. I said he's a good man-manager, but from, you know, the tactical he side... He motivates of things, the players, yeah, certainly. They play that's exactly him, right. But, yeah. but I think that, you know, he's, he's constantly outmatched in the tactical mm. side of things. And the frustrating part about the Eagles over the last three or four years is when things aren't going so well, he doesn't really try anything overly different to, to arrest the momentum. Yeah. The problem is now is, is that there's a lot of guys on the Eagles list who have probably played you know somewhere between 30 and 70 games who have basically played in one role yeah. for their entire career. So you don't know Not much versatile, about... Basically. Yeah, you don't know much about their capabilities in order to play in other positions. And that's, yeah. you know, that's really problematic. And that is true because so many times over the last couple of years in games where they have lost, where you would have thought they should have won, mm. there have been some really obvious things like, you know, certain players running around without a tag or mm. just certain, you know, the way they're delivering the ball inside their forward 50. Just really simple, you know, straightforward things that they're doing incorrectly, yeah. which just don't seem to be, um, yeah, remedied by the, the coaching team on, on the game day. Yeah, and it, I mean, well, this, and it's a function of multiple things. We're, I've tried to break this issue down into a little bit more detail. The simple answer is to say that, you know, worst falls the big problem and, you know, he needs to go, which I think is, you know... That works for me. I think that, I mean, to be honest, I think that that's ultimately fair. I actually probably would have canned him at the end of 2010 um, at where things were going at that particular point in time. He he managed to, I guess, avoid the bullet that year by cleaning out his supporting staff. Yeah. The rumour is at the moment is for him to stay on now that a similar type of thing would, would happen. But yeah, you have to ask the question, how many times can you do that before your own head's on the chopping block? And I think he's past that point. But given that if you do say that, he was lucky to dodge it in 2010. 2011 was probably, yeah, their best season since they won the I think if he was... Just about. Yeah, so well, how, how did it work that year? Well, I think that the only reason why he survived 2010 was he was still under contract. Um, that's the only reason no, I'm why. Being the like, most, you know, the lo- most loved son of the club. I think, well, I think that buys you a little bit more time, but the, I think mm-hmm. the reality was was that you had a new chairman coming in and he was still under contract who wanted to give him a, a, an opportunity yeah. to salvage his job. But so what do you think? I mean, I know that yeah. had a very easy draw and a very, very good run with injuries that year. Was there anything else he did right in 2011, which he hasn't been able well, to Well, I think that, you know, they instituted the press. Yeah. They caught everybody off guard with the press. The fact that they'd finished earlier in, in the year in 2010, they got a sweet as draw, which I remember commenting at the time saying, I wouldn't be surprised the Eagles would make the eight, and everybody laughed at me, and I said, I don't laugh, said they, see they, the draw. They could be like seven and yeah. two or something like yeah. that, and they ended up being yeah. quite close to that, yeah. yeah. But so do you credit Warsfold with actually developing that press then? And if so, why hasn't he been able to adapt and evolve that over the last couple of years? Well, I mean, yeah, if you, if you take the blame for stuff, you have to take the credit for the good stuff. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, well, recognising that that was something that they had to do and to, to execute that, you have to give him credit for that. But, I mean, well... To... That was almost his, just his one-hit his one hit wonder. Kind of, yeah, as a yeah. Coach. Well, that's right. Yeah. And, um, you know, I mean, the, he, he was incredibly stubborn early in his career about wanting to maintain a man-on-man style of football, mm. which, you know, many people believe cost them a premiership in 2005. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think that that's the, the thing about worst fault is, is that he's actually incredibly stubborn and it's it, it can that can be a blessing and a curse. Mm. So, you know, in times in 2011 when people were challenging him, his stick-headedness was actually a positive for him. Stick-headedness? Even go with that. Um, stick-headedness? Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> um, I always say stick-headedness with regards to talking to somebody, maintaining their course. Mm. But, um, you know, that was, that was a bonus for the team and the club at that particular point in time. But we've seen the, the flip side to this where he'd argued that he'd had a top four team that went on to win the wooden spoon. Mm. Argued that he had a team that was, you know, that he was had the right people in place to contend for a premiership two within years, the two-year yeah. window and it hasn't turned out that way. There's, well, you could argue it almost did in 2011 had a couple of things gone right in the finals. But I think, 
since then. Even in 2011, I said that they were a best of the rest team. That there was basically three contenders, and they just happened to be lucky number four. And if you if you look at how the the finals shook out in 2011, Geelong mm. basically got a free pass to the granny that year. Well, and they got a free pass in the granny as well. Courtesy mm. um, Hawthorne essentially finishing Collingwood off in terms of their legs yeah. um, in that game. Yeah. I mean, Collingwood hit the wall towards the end of that grand final. And yeah. I just think that was because yeah. No, that's right. That game they'd have to play the week before. Yeah, I think that that was exactly right. It was a you know, and you do see that quite often with the you know, if you if you're picking a grand finalist, I think that that's an important thing to to note. Which team was able to pull the brakes on quicker in the preliminary final generally has a bit of a has a one or two goal advantage in the granny, and they will mm. generally finish those games off stronger. Particularly in that sort of case where there was a clear top three, but yeah. Anyway, speaking so, of top three, I think we've gone through sort of three. We're of the at, well, we're at two. I think that I've, I've, I've hinted at the third point is that I just think that it was the a tease. yeah, there was a bit of a tease. I think that you know the the issue with regards to worst one in his coaching is is that he's developed an incredibly inflexible squad. Is that you look at um, you look at the Eagles compared to a lot of the other teams is that they probably have more set position players than any other club in the AFL at the moment. Mm. What that means is is that they don't have as many half-forwards that rotate through the midfield or half-backs that will rotate in the midfield to give the midfield as a chop-out during yeah. certain stages of the time. So what that actually does is that, I mean, the, the Eagles' midfield is one of their weaknesses, and I'll talk about that in a minute yeah. as well. But They can't change things up on the fly, basically. Yeah, it, well, it's, it's, it's basically that your midfield have to be endurance champions in order to sustain the workload that's required from them throughout a game. Yeah. And you've seen that teams, particularly this year, have been wearing down the Eagles midfield. Yeah. So wait for them to just yeah, yeah hit that drop. tipping point yeah. and then explode off of it. Yeah. And then just to and exploit them. it's it's and I honestly do believe a big part of this is because of lack of rotations through that midfield. That it means that too much is being left to too few. And when um, you look at some of the some of the things that other teams are doing, the teams have the the good teams have really gone to school on the Eagles, and they all use very different strategies to beat them. But the the problem is is that because of the predictability of the Eagles and the predictability of their yeah. structures you almost know what you're going to get with you know what you're going to get that's exactly There's right nothing so, change so I think that you know the, and the secondary element with the midfield so this is essentially point four is that it's just too easy to neutralise what they're trying to do in the midfield a big part of that is because of point five Matt Prittis yep. is very one dimensional in his role is that he can't play as an outside midfielder he can't play as a defender he can't play as a forward he has to play as that inside midfielder first target and unfortunately he's a great warrior with regards to the club but he's just not skilled enough to play that role in a top four team. I almost think he's just not fast enough. Yeah. Um, almost there's not even not just well, fast enough but just ridiculously there's, slow. There's, like, I, I think that the thing is is that there's fast and there's fast and that sounds silly but you <laughs> know on. there's fast with regards to being quick and then there's fast with regards to moving the ball quick. I wouldn't say that Sam Mitchell's fast but I would say that Sam Mitchell moves the ball fast. Yeah. And there's a big difference between those two. That's really important. Prittis is slow with regards to both elements there. Perhaps less fast than almost how much time they seem to have. Because yeah. I know like Simon Black, even yeah. in his later years, whenever he has the ball in his hands, he always just seems to have an extra second compared to everyone around him. Even if yeah. there are five players within two metres of him, he just seems to have the time in order yeah. to, to control his disposal. And I think that that's, you know, that's, that's part of that. That's what you want from your inside midfielders, and the Eagles don't really have that. But I think mm-hmm. that, you know, the, the structure doesn't work because Prittis is kind of the centre point of their structure, when in reality he should be a periphery player. And it's guys like... Um, Shuey, who should be the the A-liners in the in the team, as far as I'm concerned. But when you say a periphery player, I don't think Mapridis could could actually perform as a and that's player. and there, so therein that. lies the challenge that the Eagles have with mm. regards to Pritis is what's his role? You know, he's miscast in his current role, so something needs to be. I think it's almost the only role he can play. Though. Yeah, but I yeah I think that that's true as well, and therein lies the problem. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but in terms of the, I guess in terms of the midfield structure, it just doesn't work. 
I think that you know the smart teams are just are attacking are attacking via their defence with regards to the Eagles midfield. Um, you know, watching games this year, Fremantle. I mean, Ross Lyon since der- since his second derby, he had this sorted out right from the get go. So I'm going to put a fast player on Prittis, and whenever we get the ball, yeah. I'm just instructing him to run forward. Look, if we turn it over and Prittis gets it, he's probably not going to hurt us that much mm. in space. But my God, we're going to destroy him yeah. going the other way. We're going to drop it on Matthew Pavlich's head. One yeah. Out. yeah, and you look at, I mean, you look at the first derby this year, the two guys who shared the uh, Ross Glendinning medal, Barlow and Mundy, mm. who were they playing on? They're playing on Matt Prittis. Yeah. Uh, Richmond used a, an interesting strategy as well, which was a bit different, but was actually incredibly successful. They almost conceded the ruck knock and they conceded the clearance, but decided that they were going to congest the outsides of the clearances. Yeah. So they were, con- they were almost conceding the ball to somebody like Prittis, but then saying, we're going to put the pressure around that, force the spill which forced the turnover on the outside of the clearance and attack that way. They'd win it after his disposal. That's right. And Sydney, a couple of weeks ago, used a third approach, which I've seen other teams do as well, but probably not as successful as Sydney did. They were actually dropping their half-forward flanker behind the ball, conceding the the clearance in Prittis' direction, forcing him to kick the ball forward, where they all of a sudden then had numbers at the contest because of how they'd set their structure up and then attacking it through half-back. And the other thing, that does is that it nullifies West Coast's single greatest weapon, which is Nick Nananui and Dean Cox and their ruck work, I believe. Well, yeah, we'll get... Yeah, we will probably get to that at a later stage as well, but, yeah, the... Because it means even if they dominate... Because I know there have been several games this year where those guys have dominated the ruck, absolutely smashed yeah. them in the hit-outs, but it's been all for naught. Yeah, well, I mean, last week is... Uh, last week being the Gold Coast game, it's probably the first game all year where Cox has had a significant number of hit-outs to advantage for the time. The, the thing you, about who was he rucking against? Well, the thing, yeah. Well, the thing about the Eagles is that you know they do get a lot of clearances, but they don't get those killer clearances, as I like to call them, where you build your chains from stoppages. Yeah. They concede a lot of them, but they don't get too many of them themselves, mm. which is a bit of a worry. And I think you know the the, yeah, the Williams th- growling, so yeah. he clearly shares your concern. Yeah, he's uh, he's uh, he's put up with a lot of abuse, uh, not necessarily <laughs> at him, but at TV screens this year when uh, when the Eagles have been playing. But so I think that you know the midfield element is you know part of part of that is pretty. So I think that the second part to this is that they have a lot of youngish midfielders who have pretty much stalled, all for very different reasons. Be it be it injury, being an inability to break a tag, being it a lack of clarity with regards to their role in the team or being kind of miscast in their role within the team now. So let's look at say Shuey, Maston and Gaff. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll Gaff get, I'm well going to put, put is... and can we put Scott Selwood in there as, point, as player yep. four? Um, they're the four. I mean, I'm not going to bag Maston too much. I actually think Maston's had a really good year. Mm. but um, His biggest problem is always his disposal and he has improved that mm. significantly. Well, I, I actually don't think his disposal is the problem. I think it's his decision making more so than his disposal. disposal. Yeah, yeah. It's he's he's a very neat kick of the football. It's just that he often like, decides to kick it to the wrong spot. <laughs> yeah, well, he kicks he kicks it to good spots, but he probably just doesn't understand the how how it's playing out in front of him. Is is that he will he will go for a risky a forty five meter kick, not taking into account the two people zoning off in front mm. of the contest. Yeah. So a lot of Masson kicks get chopped off for that reason. Yeah. But when he when he has time and space, he's a deadly user. of the ball and that you know he always has been that's the thing it's it's more about the decision making yeah he doesn't necessarily read it so well and he's really tidied that up a little bit this year and you know he's worked really hard him oh he's probably been arguably you know he'd be one of the favorites for the um, best of areas I would say well his his injuries are probably the only thing that's going to stop him potentially have stopped him I think yeah it's it's probably a three-horse race between him Kennedy and McKenzie I mean Mm. the other two have had monster years and hopefully Hopefully they get all Australian yeah, recognition. Kennedy yeah, um, but I mean, Shuey, Shuey, let's let's tackle Shuey Gaffin Selwood with that in mind. I, th- I think that Shuey's year has been undervalued by some. He's clearly been struggling with some injuries, and he's been the guy that has taken a lot of attention this year. He's pretty much been the the number one tag most weeks that that players yep. um, that they've played, you know, um, because he's the guy that will hurt you the most out of all of the Eagles midfielders. And he's he's had a year where he's just basically been learning 
what he needs to do in order to break that tag. Yeah, I mean, so, you look at him last season, there's certainly been a dramatic drop-off this year, which I, I just have to think has been injury problems. Yes. Yeah. It just seems like he hasn't been able to build up any momentum this year. I mean, I think he, he got suspended as well. No, no, well, I just it just seems like with him, you just sort of look at him and you think of his year and you think, well, he hasn't sort of just had that, you know, sequence of games sort of strung together where he's really started to establish himself. Yeah. He just hasn't been able to get that momentum going this mm. year. Yeah. Well, I think that, you know, the the you can never dismiss, um, I'll, I'll probably, I don't think I do talk about this actually, but you can never dismiss the importance of Nat Nui in their structures. Is that Nat Nui probably gives Shuey in particular three or four easy possessions a game yeah. through his ruck work, yeah. which allows him to, you know, I've, which allows him to have the confidence to take the game on a little bit more because he's getting his hands on his ball a lot more often. But teams have been, you know, teams know that Shuey hurts him. He gets the tight. He gets the tight tag at the stoppages, and teams are actually also playing a bit of an outrider on Shuey's side, not allowing him to have a clean run forward at goals. Particularly the the good teams do that. They, they're dropping a half forward behind the contest purely to stop that type of run. So I mean, his, his partnership with Nananui just hasn't happened this year. Well, that's right. That's well. exactly true. And you know, I think that the thing about the midfield is is that the midfield's always been made to look a, probably a little bit better than it was because of Nat Nui and yeah for those who debated his All-Australian selection it's kind of looking pretty justified right about now I debated it being in the board line <laughs> but, um, but yeah. Um, yeah so the other one then and this is the obvious one which everyone has just has been well documented this year is just Andrew Gaff's abil- inability to overcome any sort of attention from opposition taggers yeah that's right um, that's pretty much been an ongoing story this season yeah probably played one or two games where he's, he's looked like he's you know actually gotten on top mm. but I mean do you... he's been a bit, bit better of late and Bill, that's why Billy's groaning <laughs> yeah. at that he's He's had some better guys. They've, they've tried to inject him into the play a little bit more. I mean, as an outside receiver, they're probably the easiest players to shut down. Yeah. Because if you can stop the ball getting out in the first place, an outside receiver plays no role in the game. So, Given that Shuey's attracting the best tagger, as you were saying, yeah. each week, do you worry about the fact that it's not even sort of, you know, the, the Ryan Crowleys and the Clint Joneses and that that are yeah. successfully nullifying Andrew Gaff? You have to worry about it a little bit because, it's as you say, it's the it's the Tendai Mazungu type player who's who's taking him to school. Um, I mean, I, there's there's probably greater issues in there. Is is that I, I just wonder about the cohesion of the midfield group in its entirety. And you know, this is part of the I guess part of the Pritis frustration. Pritis is the mature body amongst that team. He should be the guy rather than receiving the ball and trying to get it out. He there should be stoppage situations where he's the guy who's basically applying applying the body block to create space for yeah. some of these other guys so that they can get easier balls. It's one thing you really notice at, at Eagles games is, is you don't see too much shepherding and blocking mm. of players. You see a lot of players in a very congested space, but rather than going in there and putting blocks in place so that players can get through, they're all sitting there waiting for the two-metre handball, which immediately puts themselves under pressure. So there's not there's not enough working together mm. as a group to get the ball forward. And But I guess I'm loath to bring up the injuries issue because I think so many teams have had far, far worse runs with injury this year yeah. and have found a way to overcome it. Yeah. But I guess in terms of the injuries, particularly to the midfielders, it's had it has meant sort of Matt Pritis has probably been the only one who's played close to every game. Mm. So in terms of Selwood, I know has yeah had a, a few games out with injury recently. Shuey's been out. Um, Marston has missed a game here or there. There probably yeah. haven't been that many games where well, they've sort of played all of them together. The one the one that you actually that's, that's hurt them the most is it's the one that you kind of forget a little bit, but you. You're seeing why it's hurt them the most over the past three or four weeks is Wellingham, actually. Yeah. Because he's he seems to be inside, outside, hurt, can hurt you with his disposal, but also breaks lines. You know, one of the biggest bugbears I have about the Eagles midfield is Sans Shuey. Nobody breaks lines. You know, they're willing to take the game on and run with the ball. Uh, that's, you know, and it, it, going into the draft, that's got to be one of their key considerations, I think, is finding that type of player. Yeah. With, um, I mean, Kerr tries 
very hard. Yeah, he's, I he's, think he's, unfortunately... I heard Ken Judge talk about him, actually, and he made a very good point, and he said, at a certain stage, someone who's that size and that stature, and the yeah. amount of times he's just been run into and knocked over and just beaten up, their body just reaches a point yeah. where they just almost literally just can't do it. Anymore. Well, yeah, I called yeah. it. I called this about seven or eight years ago, Craig Callahan syndrome. Um, Craig Callahan used to play for the Dockers when they first came out. Very similar type of build to Daniel Curran. He was pretty much shot by 28 mm. because he'd taken so many body blows through the formative years of his career. Yeah. Curry was exactly the same. And yeah, I, I'm, look, his unfortunately, checks, his body can't un- cash, unfortunately I think that we've seen the best of Daniel Curran. Mm. You know, if he goes, I, I, I hope for his sake that he... he I don't think there's out. anyone who's ever attacked the ball with more um, yeah. just energy and intensity I've, and just sort of his ability to sort of just see the ball go in and win it no matter yeah. what is coming the other way is just you, yeah. you have to sit there and admire it oh that's his but yeah I think you know unfortunately I think he's he's done yeah. um, if he play, he probably won't play more than another well he's out for the year now but um, well they're saying that he's out for the year he's had some minor knee surgery during okay. the week um, I would be surprised if Kerry plays another 10 games at mm. AFL level to be honest and it's which funny. is sad because as you say all the things mm. that he's done he's and been a great servant for the club over the years he goes back to East Fremantle where I guess there's that step down in just the size yeah. and the bulk of the bodies around him and he's winning best on ground every week it's just yeah. that step up in I guess yeah. physical well real, I mean realistic, realistically if you look at the midfield and the midfield structure if, if the if the bodies and the structure worked and the, the personnel was right Kerry would have been playing the last couple of years out of forward one mm. and he would have been a fantastic small forward but they've needed him in other roles yeah. because the bridge hasn't been built into their midfield so I mean that's that's part of the part of the challenge now I talked about Scott Selwood in, Bre- in there before I think that the the Eagles coaching staff maybe got a little bit ahead of themselves with Selwood trying to trying to turn him into something that he's not which is Joel um, Scott Selwood's greatest asset is his ability to both lock down on the opposition's best midfielder whilst getting a fair amount of ball himself you kind of accept that his disposal at times will be a little bit sloppy because of that yes that's right Billy exactly. he's not the best kick in the world and but you you kind of accept that because of the the role that he plays in the team and the structure that that's just a byproduct of him playing there so be it you wear you can wear 30 average Scots or disposals if he shuts down the opposition's best midfielder from 30 odd down to 20 I mean that's been one of the most I guess stupid ways of measuring it but also it can be insightful is just his dream team stats mm. whereas you know a few seasons ago he was essentially a tagger so there was no yeah. emphasis on him actually winning the ball himself. Over the last two years he's been very much a premium dream team midfielder so he's gone from I guess trying to shut down uh, the opponent's best midfielder which he yeah. used to do very well mm. to now basically being the West Coast well, sort of Yeah that's right. Midfielder. I think that that's the thing is that they've tried to turn him into the into the Eagles premium midfielder yeah. <laughs> on anything but on anything rather than dream team stats I don't <laughs> think that that will ever be his role. Yeah. I just don't yeah, I think that he's miscast in that role. It's not to say that he can't be important in the role that we've talked about him playing because he's very good oh, at he's it. A yeah, yeah, he's brilliant. I mean, you just look at his tackle counts every season. He's towards the top end of the yeah the total tackle counts for the year. So, yeah, I almost see it as being, well, it's great that you can shut down the opponent's best player, but we kind of need you being our, <laughs> being our best player rather yeah. than just sort of blanketing someone else. Mm. Well, that's it. Is that, and, you know, they've tried to... The, a lot of the strategy this year has been, you know, it's very Collingwoodish. It's like, we're going to get into a midfield shootout with you and we feel that we've got the advantage because we've got the better Ruckman. Mm. Do you agree with that, Billy? Um, but the the truth is that the the quality of their midfield doesn't actually allow them to do that. They need to recognise and accept what they are. And you know, on top of that, they you know the you made the very valid point that you know they they have ruckman dominance in pretty much every single game, but that doesn't translate well. So. Their, their clearance stoppage and congestion work needs a lot of work over the off-season. A lot of work. To the point whereby, I'll say, they need a, they need a new coach in that space. Yep. And you actually mentioned a guy who I think would be perfect for it earlier on. One, Simon Black. I would love to see him take West on Coast have a bad line. history trying to get um, former Brisbane Lions stars to coach <laughs> for them. Well, that's not entirely true. They successfully got one, but he got offered an upgrade. Yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, 
yeah. So I think so. I mean, we've we've kind of talked about we've talked about six of their issues. Do you want me to go through the other four? Billy's Billy's come to life. Yeah, it's like Dad, stop, Dad, stop talking about how much the Eagles are are being crap. Seven through ten. Come on. Seven through ten. Pace, in general, I've talked about that already. But pace, uh, both in defence and forward of centre for the Eagles, is a is a real concern, as I see it. They've been continually getting carved up all year by small forwards. They made Luke Dowhouse look like a champion a couple of weeks ago. Which, that's not easy. To do. Yeah, that's right. That's a that's a fine art in, its, in itself. But they similarly, they haven't had that type of player themselves um, in their forward line, and they don't have at this stage. They don't have the defender in place. That looks like that they can lock that down. Adam Selwood? <laughs> yeah, well, that's right. Adam Selwood. Uh, they're, that, they're that desperate for players to fill that role that they had. They tried to have poor old Adam Selwood fill that role for a while. And, yeah. Um, we saw how that ended. That, that's exactly right. I, well, he's been, once again, been a great servant for the club, but the reality these days is that he plays AFL football with a fork mm. hanging out of his yeah. back. Well, um, there was, I, know, I remember one goal from that game where Yaron was yeah. bolting away from him and, and Garlett essentially gave chase to to, you know, thinking yeah. he would have to lay a shepherd, and in the end, he just stuffed the shepherd, ran straight past Selwood, and just celebrated the goal with Yaron yeah. instead. Yeah, I yeah. mean, that was the game where it became the most prevalent, but it's the Carlton game, but it certainly bobbed up at various stages yeah. throughout the year that um, they just don't have the players to match up on dangerous small forwards of the opposition. Now, they're, they're, they look like they're, they're going to try and retrofit a midfielder in Adam Carter into that role moving forward. I'm not sure if that. That's going to that's going to work. So, but at the same at the same time, I, I feel we don't have that player ourselves in the forward line. Is that if you've got marking the and it's a really bad fit once again with the structure. You've got marking targets. Your strategy is kick the ball long to a contest. If you don't have any crummers there, once the ball hits mm. the ground, teams just rebound off you far too easily. And you know the the league has become about transition turnovers yeah. these days. Um, and that's, you know, that's really hurting them. And, you know, to, to be perfectly honest, they're actually very lucky that they have guys in Kennedy and Darling who play as essentially tools in this structure that are really good at putting pressure on. Mm. But ideally, it would be a much smaller guy sitting at the feet of these guys filling that role. He'd be having a picnic. He'd be looking at Darling, and, Kennedy, and whichever yeah. of Cox and Natanui are up And, forward. you know, the, the frustrating, the really frustrating <coughs> thing about that, and it comes, <coughs> comes on to point eight, and Billy knows where I'm going with this. That's why he's really upset. Hey, let me speak, please, Mr. Corgi. Can I finish? Yeah. Jeez, pushy ass. Yeah. Very chatty today, Mr. Corgi. Um, these guys are really easy to pick up. Most of them are drafted in the rookie draft. You look at the small, the good small forwards that are playing in the league these days, most of them are, you know, either third-round third, third round picks or rookie draft picks. And the fact that the Eagles haven't thought enough forward ahead yeah. to draft some of these guys during that time, is it's a it's a blight on their recruiting staff. And yeah. Look, you know, they with the Chris Judd situation, I mean, the trade that they, that they got for Judd, they made the best of a bad situation there. But they did commit, in essence, to rebuilding through the draft. That was their strategy to get past that situation. Unfortunately for them, they've wasted a lot of top 25 mm. picks. I mean, I just try and think who their top picks have been since Judd left. And other than Marston, I... Well, they backed I, up Natanui and Shui the well, year yeah, after the, that. Yeah, but, I mean, they, they completely... They had three picks in the top 25 in 2009. Two of them no longer with the club. And the third one in Shepherd. It's questionable we whether... Wish it wasn't. <laughs> yeah, well, it's questionable whether he's ever going to be best 22, to be perfectly honest. Is that um, and you know they've essentially wait they essentially wasted pick seven in the draft on him. Yeah. So you know I mean, pick seven. That's you right. Look at him and you think I mean, pick it, seven. It wasn't a it wasn't a deep draft as it was, and there hasn't really been much quality drafted after him. But you know Shepard Weed and Kobe Stevens in two thousand and nine. That's a really bad haul from three top twenty five picks for them. It got compounded by Brad Ebert cutting bait with the Eagles and them getting bent over at the yeah. trade table for Ebert as well. I think, you know, they, they managed to get Josh Hill as a bit of a throw-in in that deal, and it's that's that's helped them a well, little bit. Well, you see, he should probably be that small forward who we were crying out for. The problem is he's just not good enough at performing that Well, role. the problem is is that 
you know, the problem is is that they play Hill and Lecrae in that type of role, but both of those guys are more medium forwards who play yeah. tall. You know, they the way that they they're going to get their goals is invariably mark kick, yeah. not crumb kick. Not a fill material. That's exactly player. right, and that's the type of player that they you know they really need and that they're really missing in their structure. And the fact, as I say, it's a blight on them that you pick these guys up generally very very cheaply, and yeah. they haven't. It's they, not like trying to find a key position defender. No, that's right. Off, you know. Is that you? Sh- you should be able to hit yeah. with that type of player a lot more often yeah. than than you are with. Others happens. and the fact that they haven't done it is yeah it's a bit of a it's a bit of a concern. So so eight down two to go penultimate point. Yeah, look you you've hit on it. Is that um, injuries have cruelled them? That's not an excuse, and everybody's using it as an excuse. But I think that it's more about the cohesion that they haven't been able to get because it's kind of two people out, two people back in every week. Mm. So they haven't had the continuity that some of these other clubs have had with regards to their injuries, knowing full well that players are going to be out for five or six weeks so you're creating a five or six week opportunity for someone else there's been a lot of one and two week spinnings with the yeah. exception of Hernan Hernan um, Bo Waters yeah. and you know Natanui at the start of the year the it's been quick two three week turnaround yeah. situation so they haven't managed to get any flow or any cohesion yeah. to their team and every week you which, see the every week you see the ins and outs and it's like four in four out yeah. which when you're trying to play that sort of forward press strategy which relies so much on I guess a that de- understanding and um, you know just th- that general awareness of how each other play and how they bounce off one another and that it's yeah. incredibly difficult to execute that style of gameplay when you're playing with three different you know maybe three of the same blokes but one different bloke yeah. rostering in and out yeah the pieces aren't that movable and the other issues is that hit on it a little bit with Natanui as well but Shannon Hearn's a huge loss for the Eagles because he's the only guy who can kick the ball and hit a target out of the back line and it's 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 been Quite comical watching uh, watching them play without her, mm. particularly bringing the ball out of defence um, from kickings. So, like, you just take for granted that Shannon Hand's getting hit a target out yep. of kickings, but watching the variety of players kicking the ball in at the moment from from points, it's yeah, it's. <laughs> it's entertaining Pretty, at yeah. least, but yeah, it's entertaining, but it's not overly productive for the Eagles. So the Natanui and Hearn are, you know, alongside potentially Kennedy and Mackenzie slash Glass. I mean, let's let's say those five guys. They're probably their five most important guys with regards mm. to structures and setups. Hearn for the for the rebound out of defence. Natanui for the setups and to allow the midfield to actually get clean ball around the clearances and stoppages. Kennedy is that forward target. Mackenzie slash Glass to take the best key forward of the opposition and neutralise which, which is Mackenzie now. Well, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I mean, the, the the concerning thing is, is that you know they're probably wasting career years out of both Kennedy and Mackenzie at the moment with everything else that's going on. I mean, those two guys couldn't have done much more than they have. I mean, Mackenzie's no. kicking goals now. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I mean, Kennedy's probably. I think as we speak now, they he and Ruffhead are even in the Coleman, but Kennedy's yeah. got a game in hand. Yeah. Um, you know, you wouldn't expect to see a team who have pretty much underperformed, you know, yeah. fallen maybe eight positions lower on the ladder than everyone expected them to finish, you know, pr- pr- yeah, produce a Coleman medal yeah. winner. Well, I mean, and the amazing thing is, is he's never kicked more than five in a game this year. He's been so consistent. He's been there every game this year. Yeah. And, um, yeah, he's been fantastic. And if he doesn't make all Australian, they need to sack the selectors because wow. he should be an absolute, he should be one of the first guys that they pick this year. Um, Not Cyril Rioli ahead of him? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to pretend you didn't say that. My, so, you know, the injuries and the injuries to the wrong people, I don't consider that to be an excuse, is that if you if you have good structures and you have good flexible teams, you look at Fremantle, who have been playing a lot of the year without Pavlich, Sandilands and McFarlane, yep. and it doesn't seem to have affected them in the slightest, because they're well coached, they've got good players, and their, their ability to modify and manipulate their structures relative to who's playing and who they're actually playing yeah. against. And also Bradley and Griffin, in terms of Sandilands That's being also yeah, yeah like well, the that's two right. sort of they've, replacement players, yeah. they've still been able to... Well, that's right. They've, they've been winning games with their third and fourth string Ruckman, yep. it's, which is an amazing feat in itself. And Collingwood at the other team, who you think with the that's injuries right. they've had yeah. this year, you know, have been just as bad, if not worse, than West Coast. And the but, team who the team who you, you're actually surprised as well, that people don't think about, but it's also very similar to, is Sydney. Yep. 
Yeah. Sydney have a Sydney have had a lot of injuries as well, but they've managed to Their depth is extraordinary though. Yeah, and no, I it's surprised that that's actually surprised me. They've picked a couple once again they've picked guys up who have bobbed up out of nowhere mm. to to fill roles for them. I I thought that when they cut so deep last year after winning the premiership that that was actually going to be a problem for them depth and that they might get found out. So mm. I've been really surprised at at their and their disappointed. Depth. <laughs> yeah, well that as well. But yeah, we won't get into that. But so, so we're up to point number ten, the final point. And Gigi, I believe you have one of your world famous theories. It's <laughs> dropping us like a bomb. World famous. I don't well, know na- uh, yeah, like Nagas- Nagasaki famous. was yesterday, the anniversary of Nagasaki. So in honour of that occasion, GJ is going to drop his own atomic bomb of football theory on us right now. <laughs> was that a good, big enough build-up for you? Yeah, thanks. Come on, it's go a, nuclear with it. It's not that revolutionary. Um, I don't think the Eagles would ever admit to this, by the way, but I have a suspicion that they thought that there was going to be an interchange cap this year, and they structured their entire pre-season training around that fact. Part of the reason why you see that is, is that they actually don't interchange anywhere near as much as their opposition does, and you kind of see it with the way that they've been recruiting over the past three or four years as well, is that they've gone more for that endurance player over that speed player, and they've certainly been training their quick guys more on endurance than speed. The problem is is that I think that that's come at the expense of some of the other things that are important playing football. Things like, you know, hitting targets when you kick the ball, hitting targets by hand, um, tackling. All the, you know, hitting all targets, this, yeah. again. Yeah. You know, all of this, yeah, hitting targets. Targets being hit is yeah. also you know, um, something yeah. to work on. I just think that, you know, they put they put a little bit too much weight on that. And, you know, the it, it ties in with all of the other things is that the injury surely you think about the stress and your strain that you're putting on these people pushing their endurance limits is that injuries are kind of a side effect of that but that was pretty stupid of them though because they should have realised that Collingwood were dead set against it coming in so it was never going to happen yeah but as I'm saying this is just a theory of mine but mm. when you think about how they've approached the year and their setups, it makes a lot more sense than you'd think so, so if had it, the rule been brought in you reckon yeah I think had the rule been brought in I think that they were, they were planning to, they'd planned to be ahead of the curve when the rule was brought in. And given that it's probably a goer for next year, it'll be interesting to see, given that they they potentially have a one-year head back. start on everyone else, yep. how that actually plays out for them moving forward. Mm. So, yeah. So there you go. The rule that may have cost us a premiership this season. <laughs> well, you can say the same thing about Essendon. Yeah, well, that's The rule right. that may cost them a premiership is yeah. don't be fucking drug cheats, yeah. kids. The, uh, the water rule. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yes. And we've come full circle now. Yes, so. I've purged. I feel better. Yeah. Better? Not yeah. bad, assistant. Yeah, that's right. So, there, there we have it. I, I should just point out that it's just as well you didn't attempt this a couple of months ago, because all that through the um, ridiculous coughing, some sort of, yeah, ridic- yeah, SARS-like lung disease that you had going on at the time, would have yeah. probably extended the length of this podcast by about three hours. Yeah, Not to mention the number of EMT um, yeah, guys that we would have had on call once <laughs> bits of your lungs started appearing on the carpet. I'd be, I'd be a bit more worried about the editing required to get them out. But, uh, yeah, anyway. Wait, you edit this? I do. Damn. Doesn't, your, doesn't oh, show. Just going to say, all your funny stuff hits the floor. Sorry. <laughs> you bastard. Just can't handle the fact that I'm more popular with that fan than you are. <laughs> you, well, yeah. And, um, and while we're at it, a quick shout out to your mum. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for the support. I won't be home for dinner tonight. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, so look, there it is. That's been a labour of love, I'm sure. Well, uh, look, <laughs> I'm throwing it out there. West Coast Board, if you're listening, you know, Woosha should definitely go next season. Um, GJ's, you know, more than willing to throw his hat in the ring. So, you know, just keep him in mind. Yeah. You know, Rodney Ede versus Glenn Jamison. Oh, no contest. Sort of weighing up the two. No contest. You'd probably have slightly higher salary demands. <laughs> probably would. Yeah, because unlike Ede, a team with which you've been strongly affiliated has actually won a premiership. So. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so, so... there it is. Before it comes out yeah. with any more ridiculous... The CV's in the mail. Keep an eye out for it. Yeah. So, uh, yes. Yeah, so, until next podcast... Next podcast or next time? Well, next time. I was just trying to mix it up. Until next time. Mixing it up, I'm going to say later skaters. Later hosen. Well, me.